right. The book of Psalms. How many books are there in the book of Psalms? Five. All right. There's the outline. Five books in the book of Psalms. Which book are we in this morning? We're just beginning number two. We're, we're, we're in Psalm 42. All right. Um, so, um, I think I'm going to put the first two on the board. And you'll see why in just a minute. <laughs> 42 and 43 are both um, prayers for deliverance from exile. And... <clears throat> There, there is evidence that the two were actually one psalm originally. I don't know if you noticed this as you're going through, but who wrote Psalm 42? Sons of Korah. Sons of Korah, yeah. Who wrote Psalm 44? David. Mm, psalm 44? Oh, 44. Yeah, 44, yeah. The same guy. Yeah. And 45, etc., etc., who wrote Psalm 43? It's kind of strange. You, you know, you have a whole bunch of psalms in a row all by the same guys, and right in the middle you have one that doesn't even say anything about it. Um, but there's another reason. The, psalm 42 is in two stanzas. Each stanza ends in verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Open God, for I shall again praise Him. And then the second stanza is the end of the chapter. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Etc. Exactly the same. The third stanza is in chapter 43, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? It's exactly the same. It looks like originally this was a three stanza psalm. Now, let's talk about what it's about. Come right on in. We're studying the book of Psalms, chapter 42. Um, what's the attitude of the psalmist in verse 1? Yeah, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. Is that a strong desire? Yeah, I mean, he pictures this deer that's been running and running and just has to have some water. Um, and so this person, the, the, the sons of Korah, they just they really long for God, and they're despairing. What's happened to them? Why are they longing so much? What's the problem? Well, uh, Tracy, what? They're held captive. We don't know where it may be in Babylon, uh, but yeah, in verse six. There, he's remembering, you know, the land of the Jordan, other places like that. In verse ten, what are the enemies saying? Where is your God? Where is your God? Yeah. Why would they say that? Because they were they were not captured. There. Yeah. They if your God was so great, you know, why did He let us capture you? <laughs> so, uh, and then he continues in chapter forty-three. Um, in verse 2, what does he say God has done? Why hast thou rejected? Yeah, rejected. Um, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Um, 
But he, he, he ends up with hope. Um, in verse 4, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise You, O God, my God. And he finally finishes off with the same thing he said twice already. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Okay. Um, Psalm 44. Prayer that God would rescue them from their enemies like He did in their Father's Day. There's several psalms that look back on things that had happened in the history of the Jews. And they, they, each of them tries to draw lessons from that history and apply it to their present day. And this is exactly what we ought to be doing too. Um, we, we should be looking at, as we read these stories in the Bible, we should be asking, how does this apply to us? And, and in Psalm 44, um, he starts out by saying, what? Yeah, we've heard with our ears. Our fathers told us what you did in the days of old. What's the implication? Yeah, do it again. That's the implication. Um, And so then he spends a few verses summarizing, you know, how he drove out the nations and and won the victories for them. Um, But then, what's he say? Their situation is down in verse nine. By who? Who who had rejected them? Thou. Yeah, God. God is the one that rejected them. He's the one that's not going out with the armies. They had turned their back to the enemy. Why? Verse 10. God calls them to. Yeah, it's so in the past it was God who gave them the victory. Now it's God who's given them defeat. It's all God. Whether, whether it's victory or whether it's defeat, it's still God. Um, but he, he's complaining about this. <laughs> he wants it like it was in the days of the fathers. And, and, you know, this is just, and, and he sends, sends a number of verses just telling how terrible it is. Um, but it's all God. Again, you know, in verse 19, you have crushed us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. Then in verse 20, <clears throat> Does he say they deserved it? No. They didn't deserve it. No. He said if we'd forgotten the name of our God, then we would have deserved it, but they hadn't. Um, And and he's not trying to pull anything over on God because he said in verse 21, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. (laughs) So the author here is looking and saying, we haven't done anything wrong and yet you've given us a defeat instead of victory and back in the days of our fathers you gave victory. And then he has this interesting verse in verse 22. For your sake we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Does anyone recognize that verse from somewhere else? Yeah, it's another Psalm 22. It may be Psalm 22, but I'm thinking of a place... Yeah, Paul quoted this in Romans chapter 8 right after he said what can separate us from the love of God then he quotes this 
And, and you, you remember that one where he says, what can separate us from the, from the love of God? You know, can, can famine or, or, you know, he lists a whole bunch of terrible things. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so he quotes this. And th- these people were not separated from the love of God just because they were being killed all day long. God was still their God and, and He still loved them. But it, it's a very strange situation to be in. It's, this is an unusual situation, and yet it was very valuable that it was there because Paul could then bring it up in his day. And you think about his day, um, wouldn't this apply so well? All For your sake we are killed all day long. We are considered a sheep for the slaughter. I mean, how many Christians in Paul's day were slaughtered just because they were Christians. And it wasn't their fault. It wasn't because they had abandoned God. And it was the same God who had given victory to the fathers. But they weren't separated from the love of God. (laughs) The Psalms cover all different situations. It'd be hard to get in a situation that they don't cover. Alright. Celebration of the King's Marriage. What does it mean when I put this word messianic on it? Jesus. Yeah, it's a prophecy of the Christ, the Messiah, who of course is Jesus. And so who do you think this king is in this psalm? David. Well, you may be right. As far as... We're not, we're not certain whether this psalm originally had to do with anybody specific. If it had to do with someone specific, it might have been David, it might have been Solomon. But there's another possibility, and that is that it was really written for the Messiah, and it didn't have to do with anyone at that time. Now, I don't, I don't know which is the case. There's certainly, some, there's certainly some language in this psalm that I would have a lot of trouble applying to anybody but Jesus. Um, and I can't, and I can't find anything in the psalm that I don't think would fit Jesus as long as you understand that um, it's, it's using uh, poetic language to talk about Him. Um, the the one, one verse that I have a lot of trouble applying to anyone else would be verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of right, uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And that, do you know where that's quoted in the New Testament? Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. Yeah, very good, Tracy. Yeah. Uh, the verses some um, six and seven are quoted in the in Hebrews chapter one, and the point is to show that Jesus is God. That's the whole reason the Hebrew writer quotes it. Um, now, this psalm that's about a marriage—if it's about a marriage—and if the one getting married is Jesus, then who's the one he's marrying? Church. The church, his people, and so that puts a little bit different. <clears throat> flavor on some of these phrases. Look in verse 10. Now, understand, O daughter is the wife, the one who's getting married to the king. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Bow down to him. Well, if that's talking to us, what's it saying we need to do? Give up the vain things. Yeah, give up the vain things of the world. Quit putting our affections on the things of this life and put our affections upon the one we're getting married to, who is Jesus. Okay. 46. God is our refuge. 
What kind of a situation is the writer describing in the first three verses here? Is this a situation you would like to be in? (laughs) You couldn't imagine much worse. Though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its... I mean, this is talking about terrible disasters. But, even in that situation, what's the psalmist saying? His attitude is going to be. God is our refuge. That's the key. Yes. Um, And so, look down to verse 10. Um, Who's talking in verse 10? God. Yeah, God. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is a principle we need to keep in mind. That our goal is to exalt God among the nations. His desire is to be exalted and He wants to be exalted in His Son Jesus. He is exalted in His Son Jesus when we live as Christians and when we tell others about Jesus. That's how He is exalted. And He is exalted when we put our trust in Him when everyone else is is just falling all over themselves with fear. When we confidently put our trust in God, He is exalted. And that's what this psalm is telling us. And this 47 is similar to this. This is God is a great king over all the earth. Um, and I understand that this psalm, the, the, the Jews would repeat this psalm on, on the new year. They would repeat it seven times before they blew the trumpets to announce the new year. So this is a very special psalm to these people. And, and it's a very interesting one in that it's, as I said, it's celebrating the fact that God is over everyone, not just over the Jews. Look in verse 2. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great King over all the earth. Now we saw something similar to that in verse 46, but verse, I mean, chapter 46. Now chapter 47 is celebrating that, that fact. 48 is another celebration. Celebration after God delivered Jerusalem from an invasion. Um, I don't know. Historically, I can't tell you when this was, but... Um, uh, it's interesting if you go back to chapter 46 it celebrates the fact that God's in control of everything and that was one you know, where you know, even if the mountains are quaking and all that while well, trusting God and now 48 celebrates an instance when God did exactly that um, what was happening in verse 4 an assembly of, of kings and his foreign armies yeah yeah, were they coming just to admire the city? <laughs> yeah. But what happened in verse 5? Yes, and then? Yeah, they ran off. Yeah. And of course, this is poetry. I mean, if you were there, I'm sure it would have taken a little bit longer than one verse for, for this to happen. And you might, you might have been a little bit nervous yourself. But um, God gave them the victory. That's what, the, that's what this psalm is celebrating. And so finally, in verse 14, for such is God, our God forever and ever, He will guide us until death. Now, of course, this is the kind of psalm that all of us would love to, to be able to, to recite because you know, we want to be on the, on the good side. You know, we want to be in the city that God rescues. But remember, you had a few chapters earlier when God had sold them in to, into the hands of their enemies and they were like sheep for the slaughter. It's up to God what happens. 
It's up to God. It's up to us to have faith, regardless of what happens. But we have to understand that when God gives us a victory, and it may be a victory for the whole nation like this, or it may be just a victory in your own life, it's time to praise God and give Him thanks for that. This is a great chapter, chapter forty-nine. Um, Money cannot buy immortality. <laughs> and of course, people have, people of every age have always thought differently. Anyone that has a lot of money thinks that that's the answer to all of his problems. Um, but in verse 7, what is it that you can't do with money? You can't give God a ransom for anybody. Yeah, you can't give God, give God a ransom for anybody. Verse 8, why can't you? Uh, because you don't have the price. You don't have enough money because the redemption of his soul is costly. <laughs> and if you could ransom him, in verse 9, what would happen? Well, he would live on eternally. Wow. But because you can't, what's going to happen to him? He's going to die. Yeah. And this is the problem we all have. I mean, we all see we're going to die. We need a ransom. Nobody has enough money for the ransom. But there is an answer. It's not in this psalm, but what's the answer? Jesus, Jesus is the ransom. Yes, He's the one that paid the price. We, money is, isn't going to do it. And, and I don't care if you're Bill Gates with billions of dollars, you're going to die. And that's the point of this psalm. Um, now, in verse 11, here's something that the rich people try. Um, their inner thought is that what is going to be forever? Yeah, they're going to build a fancy house and, and you know, maybe they'll die, but at least their house will stay on and, and that kind of, I guess, solves the problem of immortality. <coughs> but that's just, that's just folly to think of that. Um, even your house is going to decay eventually. I mean, it'll, it'll be around after you die, but not for, for, not for all that long. And... Before the house decays, people will have forgotten who built it anyway. <laughs> so what's the point? Verse 15, But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. Now, we've talked before about how in the Old Testament, the people had very little concept of life after death. They, they did not talk about going to heaven, dying going to heaven. We saw in the book of Job that a time or two, Job approached that idea that that God was still he would still see God after he died. He he was groping for that truth. God hadn't told him that, but he he just kind of figured it out because it just had to be that way. And here we find the sons of Korah have reached this same conclusion. The rich people are trying to buy immortality; they won't work. But God will will answer us. He will deliver, redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. Sheol is the grave. He'll redeem my soul from the grave. Um, Ken, yes. In verse 15, the by in the is that the sons of Korah? <laughs> yeah, you know, it says the sons of Korah. It might have been just one person that wrote it. I mean, he, one, one guy might have been in the group called the sons of Korah. But this might could be you even. Because isn't God going to redeem your soul too? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I want you to notice verse eighteen. We're going back to the rich guy again. 
Um, what do men do when you do well for yourself? Praise you. Praise you. Isn't that strange? You spend money on yourself and people congratulate you. But they but that's true, isn't it? <laughs> it just um, and and yet what good is that? What did Jesus say to spend our money on ourselves? Lay up treasure in heaven, yeah. Make friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness. So they'll receive you into the eternal dwellings. Yeah. Alright. Psalm 50. Now this is a good psalm that teaches us things. I mean, we would know it without the psalm, but the psalm helps a lot. Um, God demands right behavior, not just sacrifices. Look in verse 8. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. Why? In verse 10. He, he owns all the animals. What can we give God that He needs? In fact, in verse 12, what would God do if He was hungry? Well, what would He not do? He's not going to tell us. <laughs> what could we possibly do to help God out if He was hungry? In fact, if God was hungry, this whole world would be an absolute disaster. If, if there's anything at all that God needs and can't provide, we are hopeless. I mean, our, our only hope is that we have a God who can accomplish anything He wants. And the Bible clearly teaches that. And this is the same thing He's saying here. You know, folks, I don't need the animals you're going to give me. Well, is this now teaching that, hey, quit offering sacrifices? Is that what God's saying here? What is He saying? The world is His. Well, He's saying the world is His, but why is He talking about sacrifices? Yes, that's what I wanted. I wanted to read on. Verse 4, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon Me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor Me. What He's saying is, make your life match the sacrifice. If you're going to bring a sacrifice to God, make sure that you're living it in your life. Make sure that you're thankful to God. Make sure that when you make a promise to God, that's what the vows mean, when you make a promise to God, that you keep that promise. Um, and, when we're, and when you're in trouble, make sure that it's God you call upon and not money and, or, or something else like that. He's the one we trust. And if you do that, then the sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you don't do that, the sacrifices are an insult to Him. And, but the, the psalm is trying to address the problem that people have when they think that um, somehow they're buying something from God by sacrifices. And people have the same attitude today. I mean, somehow they think that, well, you know, I come to church so often, I, I read my Bible every day and all this, and they think they're buying something from God. And, and God's answer is the same as you get to give to these people. Do you think I need you to read your Bible? Do you think I need you to come to church? <laughs> We're not buying anything from God. But obviously, reading the Bible and coming to church is a chance to praise and worship God. And if it matches our lives, then it's then it's an offering pleasing to Him. But it's not something He needs. All right, um, Psalm fifty-one. This is a great psalm. This is the fourth 
of the penitential psalms. How many are there penitential psalms? Seven. Seven, yeah. Yeah, I found out that the, the penitential psalms were actually named by a guy that lived in the 500s, which is a long time ago. He's the guy, he's the one that picked out the seven for us. So, uh, I mean, obviously in the, in the psalms are just kind of scattered around, but he went through it. I don't know whether he had to kind of stretch to make it equal seven, because of course, you know, he, you can understand why he might want it to be seven. But there's no question this has got to be one of them. I mean, this is a tr- tremendous psalm. And you know the story of David and Bathsheba and the terrible sin he committed and when Nathan came to him. And so, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verse 4, who does he say he sinned against? Only God's. Uh, try telling that to Uriah. I mean, you think, I mean, what about poor old Uriah that's now dead? Didn't he sin against him? Well, of course, every sin is ultimately a sin against God. And um, that doesn't mean that, it, that we don't have an obligation to ask our brethren for forgiveness if we sin against them. But first and foremost, it has to be God. And in verse 5, he explains a deeper problem he has. Now, he, 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 wants to be, he wants to be forgiven. But what's the big problem he has in verse 5? Yeah. What's yeah? What's the point of that? Yeah, his sinful nature is just inborn in him, and surely all of us can see the same thing. I mean, if anyone if anyone believes that you know they've got the problem solved. They don't understand sin and they don't understand God. Sin goes a lot deeper than this. And David understands it and he's he's right. It's not just because he did such a terrible thing. David understands that his sin runs very, very deep. Every so often we we see something particularly horrible that we've done. And and it's just like a signpost. But the sin itself goes deep. What are you going to do if your sin runs that deep? In verse 7, Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He, in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's the only answer we can possibly have for our sin. And that is for God to create a clean heart in us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go back to 5. Yes. I don't How far back does your sin go? I mean, when you think about sin, how 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 is the earliest? How far back would the earliest sin be in your own life? When you're old enough to understand, what were you doing before that? When you weren't old enough to understand, sitting <laughs> out. I mean, you look at little kids. I mean, even just a year old, you know. Mommy says, don't you touch that. What's the little child going to do? <laughs> Where'd that come from? An inquiring mind. <laughs> yeah. We just... It came from the same place that Adam and Eve's sin came from. They just... We don't want anyone telling us what we can't do. 
So does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is saying the same thing as we saw in this previous psalm about the, um, you know, that God doesn't need our sacrifices. What He wants is a life that's devoted to Him. Alright. 52, God will destroy the wicked person. Um... And all this. He was dealing with a pretty wicked person. Verse 2, what was this person doing with his tongue? Devising destruction. Yeah, devising destruction. Now the heading says this was when when Duig came and told Saul David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Remember that story? All he, all he had to do was just slip that word to Saul and Saul killed the whole house of Ahimelech. Yeah, with his tongue. He was doing destruction. Just terrible. Um... Verse 4. What does this man love? Yeah. Terrible. What God, what's God going to do him to do to him in verse 5? Wait a minute. I've no I'm, I'm Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's going to be punished. But in contrast, in verse 8, what's the psalmist going to be like? It's going to be like the green olive tree in the house of God. Yes. And that goes back to Psalm 1. Remember Psalm 1 tells about you know, who, may, who may dwell in the presence of God and He'll be like a tree planted by water. It's very similar to this. Alright. Um, Psalm 53. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Does that ring a bell to anybody? <laughs> in fact, if you turn back to Psalm 14, you'll see that it's identical to Psalm 14. Um, this psalm, at least the first verse, is identical. Um, the whole psalm is the same as Psalm 14 with a few changes. Uh, the name of Jehovah the Lord was changed in this psalm to God. It's, he does, in Psalm 14, is not Jehovah, and this psalm is God. I don't know why. And then verse 5 is a little bit different. So I'm not going to spend any more time on that one um, because we already did it back when we did 14. Um, Psalm 54, another prayer for help against enemies. Nothing particularly new there, so I'm going to move on just because I've got way too much to cover. Psalm 55, we got it. Oops, thank you. Okay. Alright, thanks. Um, this is... Tragic. This psalm just described a tragic situation. And poor David is just... Um, wow. Um, verse 4, how does David feel? Severely pained. Just terrible. And terror. He's afraid. I mean, it just this, the treacherous have, have done so much that he's, he's scared. And what did, what did he like to do in verse 6? Yeah, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, oh man, I wish I could just disappear and just go somewhere? And you could, and of course, it wouldn't be hard to imagine where you'd rather be than where you are. Um, and that's David. And of course, he can't. He can't disappear. He's got to. He's got to face up the situation and, and the grief. But look in verse twelve. Who was it who was doing this to him? 
No, 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 it doesn't say that. I want an answer from the psalm. You don't know you don't know who this was. Yeah, his companion. Um, they in verse fourteen, what have they done together? Walked in the house of God, he and his friend. Uh, I mean, you could you, you can imagine there wouldn't be that many people that would get to walk in the temple with the king. This guy was was high up, and he was a good friend. Um, so in verse fifteen, what does David ask to come upon them? Death. Death. Yeah. Um, that, that's. And and we and surely we all agree. I mean, someone who behaves like that with a friendship who would just stab someone into the back, they they deserve to be punished by God, and God understands that and will. Verse twenty one. His speech was smoother than butter, but what was his heart? War. War. Yeah. Terrible, terrible person. And in verse twenty two, David counsels: Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Alright. 56. Prayer for help and declaration of trust in God. Um, I'll just point out, verse 4 says, "...in God whose word I praise..." And God, I put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? It's the same as verse 10. So we have this inclusio or bracketing here with the same phrase found twice. And I want to just look at one thing in the middle here, verse 8, because this is kind of a, you might not have caught this. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This is. And, it's a strange thing when we hear, you know, put my tears in your bottle. What's this about? It turns out that back in Bible times, they had what they called tear bottles. Now, I'm not sure that this bottle dates back to David. In fact, I'm nearly positive it doesn't. But um, most of the pictures I found on the internet dated back to Roman times. But I think they did have these tear bottles all the way back to David's time. And this picture just gives you an idea of the size. And people would actually catch the tears in this bottle. And they would then cork it up, and they would save the tears, and you know, put it on their mantle or someplace like that. Um, and so David is, you know, in a uh, a dramatic sense, he's trying to explain to God, you know, how um, how much suffering he's doing, and he wants God to remember this and and, and take take thought of him. All right, um, fifty-seven. Prayer for refuge from enemies. Of course, we're back in the day in a David section. You probably knows that we did a whole bunch of Sons of Korah, then a bunch of David Psalms. And I, my guess is is the editor of this second book found these collections of Psalms that and, and they were there, there was probably a collection of the Psalms of Sons of Korah. This collect another collection of Psalms of David that hadn't been put in the first book. And so he found it. and said, "Hey, we're going to put this on our Psalm book," and, and, and he put it in. That's why you get. A bunch of David Psalms all in a row like that. Um, all right, so 57. Um, he mentions wings again. What what what's wings in verse one here? Yeah, he wants to take refuge in the shadow of God's wings. 
Yeah, what was that other Wings one we had just a couple chapters ago? Please. The Wings of the Dove, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was an interesting <clears throat> contrast. All right, 58. Ju- wicked Judges. Yeah, the verse 1 says, Do you indeed speak righteously, O gods? Do you judge uprightly, O sons of men? And I discovered that the phrase gods is translated differently in other translations. The NIV and the Net Bible both have the word rulers instead of gods. Uh, so do you indeed speak righteously, O rulers? Do you judge uprightly, O sons of men? And what's the answer? Are they, are they speaking uprightly? It's terrible. And, and David is, is really unhappy about this. So what does he ask God to do in verse 6? Break their teeth. Yeah, break their teeth. Again, this is poetic language, but it was in an age when in a war time, oftentimes you would get your teeth broken. I mean, because it was hand-to-hand combat. And he wants God to deal with them as in war. Alright, Psalm 59. Prayer for a deliverance from enemies. Again, very similar to what we've had before, but... Um, verse 13 adds one little item. Now the first part is just similar. Destroy them in wrath. Destroy them there may be no more. That men may know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. So, so David is asking that God will punish these enemies that are, are after his life so that people will praise God to the ends of the earth. Again, this needs to be our attitude today. Um, Psalm 60, they had a defeat. Uh, and um, in verse 1, why had they been defeated? God rejected them. Yeah, He's angry. He does, he's, David isn't saying He knows why, but you know, He knows what's happened and, and He's sad about it. So, in verse 11, who's going to be the answer to their problem? God. Because deliverance by man is in vain. If God's angry, He's not going to try to do some end run around God and see if He can figure out a way to avoid this problem. God's the only solution. Alright, Psalm 61. God is my refuge. Similar to what we've had, but um, in verse 3, for you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. That's that's kind of a pretty picture when you think of it. A tower of strength. If you were being attacked by an enemy, where would you rather be but in a, in a tower <laughs> where they can't get to you? And that's what God is. Alright, Psalm 62. God is my only hope. I'm going to skip over that. There's nothing, nothing particularly new there. But Psalm 63... Verse 1, what does David's soul do toward God? Thirst. Thirst, yes. In the heading, where is he when he's saying this? Wilderness of Judah, which was a desert place, really dry. Um, it, at first when I, saw, I read that, I thought, oh, well, that was when he was running away from Saul. But then I noticed that in verse 11 he says, but the king will rejoice in God. So David was already king when he was praying this. So the second alternative is that when he ran away from Absalom, he also had to run into the wilderness of, of Judah. And he would have felt the same way. Just, you know, my soul thirsts for God. Um, and so it's a, it's a beautiful picture. And in verse 6, 
When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. This is similar to some of the psalms we looked at when I preached my sermon on delighting in God. David clearly loves God and he delights in God. Alright, 64. Prayer for deliverance from secret enemies. This is another one of these sad situations where you've got people working behind the scenes. Um, in verse 4, what are they doing? Yeah, shooting from concealment at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They hold fast to themselves in evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who can see them? But in verse 7, they were shooting from their place of cover. What's, what happens in verse 7? God's going to shoot them. <laughs> well, that's poetic justice. <laughs> yeah. Alright, Psalm 65. This appears to be taking place at harvest time. Um, because look in verse 9. You visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You will prepare their grain for thus you prepare the earth. This seems to be a song of praise to God at harvest time. And, and people, and you can, you can imagine what that's like. I mean, it's not a, not a year of drought, it's a year of abundance. And who should we think about first in a time of, of plenty? We should think about God. And so this psalm is, is, is doing exactly that, thinking about God. Psalm 66. Um, praise to God for His mighty deeds. Now, um, when we talk about His mighty deeds, this of course is one, another one of these psalms that looks back in, in history. Um, in verse 6, He turned the sea into dry land. When did that happen? Red sea. Yeah, crossing the Red Sea. Yeah. So these are some of the awesome deeds that God has done in the past. Um, but I want you to notice in verse 4, all the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. All the earth. Again, this emphasis that God is not just wanting to be worshipped by the Jews. His intention is to be glorified throughout the whole earth. Of course, He wasn't able to do that on a grand scale until He sent His Son. But that's, that was His goal from the very beginning. Now, and one other thing about this psalm that's, that's very interesting in, in verse 13, there's a change. I want, to, I want to see if you can catch what change between verse 12 and verse 13. Very good. Yeah, yeah. This reminds you of the book of Acts, doesn't it, where he has the we passages. The first 12 verses of the psalm are all we, us, our. From verse 13 on, it's I, my, me. So the psalm starts as kind of a prayer for, of all the people, and then at the end it gets personal. Just one person to God. I think it's a very interesting um, literary approach. 67. May everyone praise God. Um, in verse 3, who is he asking to praise God? The peoples. You know, all the peoples. In verse 2, He had your salvation among all nations. Um, in verse 7, God blesses us 
Why? Yes. And, and we need to think about that too. I mean, when God blesses you or when God blesses me, it's not just so you can have a comfortable life. It's so that all the ends of the earth will fear God. And we've got one more. We're actually going to make it this morning. <laughs> psalm 68. This is a, a fairly long psalm. Um, praise to God as He enters His sanctuary. Um, it, it, one of the commentaries that I read about this suggested that perhaps this song was composed when they brought the ark into Jerusalem. You remember when David was dancing in front of the ark and all that? And that, that may be. Um, you see in verse 35, O oh God, You are awesome from Your sanctuary. Uh, the God of Israel Himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. Um, but it appears that there's a, a movement going. In verse 1, Let God arise. Let His enemies be scattered. Let those who hate Him flee before Him. And, um, and of course, the, the psalm is picturing God as being a great warrior. And He's getting up and He's, he's, he's um, accomplishing His purposes. Uh, for example, verse 12, Kings of armies flee, they flee, and so on. Um, verse 18, you have ascended on high, you have led captive your captives, you have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. Does anyone know where that's quoted in the New Testament? You're right. That's from Ephesians 4. Yeah. Um, so, the Psalms, you, you need to know the Psalms if you're going to read the New Testament. <laughs> so. Um, all right, any other questions or comments before we close out? John? It was interesting reading this uh, last night. I kept thinking, I've read this before, and then I realized it. The various phrases were popping up from the psalms we've been singing in the first part of our song. <laughs> yeah, I like those songs. Yeah, those are great. All right, I appreciate everyone's help this morning. <clears throat> yeah, I'm thinking... Um, your observation in uh, 68A, uh, where uh, we're blessed so that all the world may know, but at the same time, 